I have been observing civil photographers over the last several years who have made some amazing progress in their art and in their business. It's really humbling to see someone who was once tentative or nervous about their work evolve into a photographer who consistently produces good work, continues to succeed financially, and who actively gives back to the photographic community. Valerie Jardin has made some amazing strides herself in the last few years that I've known her, and it's exciting to see someone who has such a passion for photography do so much with it. Well, Valerie, welcome to the Candid Frame. Thank you for having me. This is really an honor. Yeah, I am. You know, we've been we've been uh, aware of each other, you yes. know, and interacting periodically. But it's nice to finally sit down and and talk to you and get to know you a little better. You're pretty diverse in terms of uh, the the work that you do. But one of the things that really kind of piqued my interest when you wrote a little while back about quitting photography, and I think. A lot of people who love photography do quit, and others people entertain the idea, but you did it, and it really ended up being sort of a transformational moment for you. So I'd like to start there. What was happening that was making you think that you didn't want to do this anymore, even though you, you loved it so much? Oh, yes. Well, it actually happened just a few years ago. I um, I started kind of late. I've only been doing this for 15 years seriously and um, and making money at it slowly. And like everything else, when you turn your passion and your hobby into a profession, it becomes a job pretty quickly. The part that people tend to forget is that it, it becomes a business before photography you know so it's a matter of finding the balance and I feel like I was shooting for clients editing pictures for clients and and slowly I was not shooting for myself and and I wasn't doing personal projects anymore I wasn't even taking my camera out on weekends I didn't feel like it I didn't feel like spending any more time in post-processing that I than I had to for clients so it became a chore and it was it was scary because i i was losing the passion for it until i realized what i loved doing the most was sharing and teaching and really trying to share the passion and and all it took was really for me to start giving myself self assignments and and being committed to going out and shooting just for me, not for a client. Because eventually when you shoot for clients, well, depending on what you do, you have to compromise between your vision and the client's vision. And the important for me was to go back to to my own vision. And it's really through personal project that I I found my muse again, and uh, it's never been stronger. I mean, every day I'm, I'm more and more passionate about the craft. So it's been been great it, and, and I've grown so much since since then I've learned so much through those personal projects I mean I feel like you know when I'm on the job now you can pretty much throw anything at me and and I've so often got out of my comfort zone through personal projects that I was um, that I was giving myself that you know pretty much comfortable in any situation although I do specialize for my professional work I tend to shoot anything that moves me when I'm a, when I'm working on personal projects it's kind of interesting to know that feeling of frustration, disappointment, 
with just that sort of emotional struggle that, that you were feeling are probably the very same feelings that people are having who don't have a job that revolves around photography. Mm-hmm. That it's that same feeling like I want to be doing so much more. It's something that makes me happy, but I'm stuck at this job. You know, someone else may be, you know, uh, an accountant, your case, you were a photographer, but it's, it's interesting that that same feeling of being stuck, of being frustrated is not so much related to the job you have, because you could still be a photographer and feel those very same things. And it's making the choice to do something completely separate from that, something that really serves you as an artist that really helps you to sort of get beyond that and, and to have fun with it. Oh, exactly. And, and that's why I feel so fulfilled, uh, with the projects that I, that I work on constantly on my own and also through writing a lot of articles. I'm a regular contributor for digital photography school and I write between two and five articles every month and, and just connecting with the community through those articles and through social media has just made the world of a difference. I mean, I even forget to, to share my commercial work because I'm so into my personal projects. It seems like I, and it says on my website, I, I uh, breathe, I live and breathe in pixels, but that's pretty much it. You know, I'm, I have a camera with me all the time and, and it's, I find I have a balance now. The more passionate I am about photography in general, and that mostly through the personal projects I work on, whether it's when I'm traveling or even here or going out on photo walks with my little group, the the better my commercial work has become. And I think the more confident I am too, and that shows, you know, trying to, when you sell yourself as a photographer, the passion has to come through. If you're in a rut, the client We'll see that right away. So, so what do these personal projects look look like for, for, to you? I mean, they're short-term projects. They're long-term projects. They're 365 projects. There's a whole myriad of different projects out there. So can, for our listeners' sake, what can you describe what some of these are and you know how much time is involved in, in some of these as compared to others? Well, I try to do some regular posts. Like I have I, – my, my love is street photography. If I had to pick one one genre of photography, that's what I would pick. I I have a, a blog post that's ongoing and it's interesting faces, for example, and it's usually street portraits where I actually have an interaction with the subject. And I ask you, you know, I tell them, you, you look real interesting. Can I can I make a, a picture? I do macro work, so I try to do the macro of the week. I just started a new one called Simple Things, where I'm going to post one picture of an ordinary object object that most people would walk right by, but you know that you have to learn to to see it in an interesting way and and sim- well we talked about that the other day simple objects can have can have a story too it can be because for work, I also do environmental portraits sometime I just find someone really interesting, like recently, I was talking with a glass artist, and i I asked him if I could just go to a studio and just shoot you know him at work doing what he 's passionate about, so that was a self assignment but I take it as seriously as if it was client work, except that you know I do it on my time and and the way I really want it's it 's my vision. 100%. It's really to make me happy. 
I'm not worried about making a client happy. And uh, I do that every week. I go on photo walks. I started a, a photo walk group in the Twin Cities here. I'm located in St. Paul, Minneapolis metro area. I try to do a photo walk every week. So that's a personal project in itself. Usually we pick a theme or something. And on my own, whenever I have free time, I'm, or even if I'm on a job, you know, like I'm shooting interiors. And there is something that I find particularly interesting in a, in, you know, in a particular space or some details that I, in architecture that I really enjoy shooting. And I take a few shots just for me. Why do you feel like there's a difference in, in the work that you're doing commercially, that you're doing for your clients, in the work that you're doing for for yourself, because it's it's still photography. You're still getting to practice something that that you like. You've mentioned, you know, that you're having to do it for your client that rather than for yourself. But beyond that, why do you think th- that you struggle trying to sustain that passion for photography, doing the work that sort of pays the bills, as opposed to the work that you just do for you know to satisfy yourself? Well, there are two different things. For uh, for work, I mostly shoot interiors and food, environmental portraits, which kind of falls into that same category because I usually photograph like uh, chefs in their restaurants. So they're usually places where I, you know, either I'll shoot the interior of the restaurant or the food photography or designers in their space, for example. So that's the portraiture I do. And what I do for fun is mostly street photography, which I don't sell. You know, I'll exhibit, but I don't sell it. That's just for, just for me anything else that moves me. So they're, they're entirely different, they're entirely different subjects. So I, although I find a lot of satisfaction in, in what I do for a living, and I think you have to, like, I would be miserable as a wedding photographer. I have so much respect for wedding photographers. I couldn't do it. I mean, I, like any starting pro photographers, I tried a lot of different things too. And I, I did shoot two, three weddings and I wasn't happy. So, so I, I shoot what I love. And I got to that point, to that point after years and years of, you know, trying to find what I truly, what truly made me happy. And when I finally had the luxury to be able to say, okay, I'm only going to shoot interiors and food because that's what I love to do. But on the side, when I'm out with my camera, there, I'm almost, it's almost two different, two different per- persons. When, when, I th- when I think about it, I think part of it is that maybe it's just the control freak in me. That when I'm shooting something, I have a particular vision for it that may not match with what the client wants. And sometimes it's frustrating that what the client wants is not what I would wish for my own work. You know, in terms of maybe the choices of the images or how the images are interpreted or how they're eventually used. And I think that sometimes that's, that's sort of a point of frustration. Even though I may be photographing, for example, doing a, 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 a portrait of, of someone. I love doing portraits, but there's something about having complete control for work for myself that I don't necessarily have with a client. Sometimes, uh, that's something that I give up and I don't know if I'm completely happy with that sort of compromise. And I think that may, at least for me, that's that I think it's sometimes the point of frustration when it comes to doing work for, for somebody else is, does that sort of ring any bells for you? Oh, definitely. You, you really have, it's, you have to make a compromise between, I mean, the clients at first will want to be in control and until they know you and they know your style and they trust that your creative style will, you know, you'll do your magic and they pretty much let you 
do whatever you want to do. But that takes a while to build that trust with a client. So yeah, the client kind of wants to be in control. They, they know what they want. They have a, a shot list. And so sometimes I don't really agree with, you know, they want a certain angle and I try to, to make them happy and I do that certain angle and then I'll, I'll shoot, you know, different angle which I know is going to look so much better and then I'll you know they'll see both and and then they realize like oh yeah that is so much better so you have to work with the client and share a little bit of their vision and your vision in the in the finished product but after a while I find that you know I'll I'll do the the like the shot list for a client and then I'll time and 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 do my own shots that are completely you know my vision something that is more creative that they were thinking and they usually love it. You talk about that a big part of your sort of reinvigorating your photography was about connecting with other people and sharing work and, and sometimes shooting with other people and, and teaching. Why do you think that's, that's been so important and, and what are some of the means by which that you've connected with other photographers? Not so much locally, but more internationally through the through writing articles for DPS. That's been really great, and through social media, whether it's uh, through my Facebook page or now Google Plus, with with photographers and non photographers, but mostly photographers, and just to you know when people when you get an email after you write an article and somebody says oh you so inspired me to try to do this and i you you get so much such a warm feeling you know you're like oh i inspired someone today and and uh, i love it and that's the probably the teacher in me i feel like i want to share i if everybody could could have just a small percentage of the passion i have for this craft uh, i feel like everybody would be so happy. <laughs> um, and same with my, my, excuse me, my workshops. Um, I, I just want to teach people to, to see and share the, share the, the, the passion. And, and I, I get, get that through teaching and, and writing. And I, you know, I think that's one of the most gratifying things you can do is to help someone else see. You know, could you, you get that look in their eyes when they see those pictures that they themselves have created, just as a result of just learning how to interpret and see through the camera in a slightly different way. There's a few things, you know, more gratifying than that. Very gratifying indeed. And and even going out with my um my walk group here on a regular basis is just so much fun. I mean, they're photographers of all level. You know, I don't care if they have a phone or a point and shoot or, you know, the latest 5D Mark III. It doesn't matter. And then we go out and we'll see the same thing. And it could be 10 of us and we're going to photograph it in 10 entirely different ways. And then having a discussion about this after. And it's, it's so much fun. Well, you teach workshops in, in Paris. And you're originally from, from France. Um, so tell me about... What do you think it is about that particular city that is so special uh, in terms of photography? Well, it's such a magical place. I love street photography, so Paris is definitely one of my favorite playground for street photography. I love black and white, and I think Paris looks best in black and white. And it's my workshops are as much a 
a photo workshop as it is a cultural experience. And, and I'm from there, and I know the city well, and there's so many cultural things that, um, that are so interesting, you know, besides the, the, the beauty of the city. And it's really teaching people to see beyond the postcard because it's really easy to to come back from Paris with pictures that you could have just picked up at the airport on your way home that look like every postcard on the rack and 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 Paris is so much more than that from you know incorporating people in your frame and telling a story to those little details that you know if if uh, the goal for your trip is to put together a book those those detail shots that will link everything together and having the yes of course the iconic Paris images but to try to see them in a different way and see see details and as I said incorporating people in the shots because really ultimately it's the people that make a place special and that's why I think it's very important to um, I do my workshops in the spring and fall because that's much more authentic. Um, Paris in the summer is not really the real Paris. (laughs) (laughs) They're off season. Even January. I was just there in January and I fell in love with Paris all over again. It was so Paris, you know, with, you know, all the lines of tourists everywhere. So it's just such a beautiful city. So so what's an authentic Paris? I mean, you're suggesting that, that part of it is the fact that it's not inundated with tourists, but what makes Paris so different during those off seasons that you feel is such a special thing that you want to capture it with your camera. Can you sort of quantify what that what that means? For well, one thing, Parisians need uh, tend to be gone during the summer, <laughs> so <laughs> month of July or the whole month of August, because most most companies will close for a month and let their employees go for on vacation. So, uh, so there are fewer Parisians present and it's everything is seems stressful and rushed in in the summer whereas it's a slower pace off season and and you can really see the locals interact i mean at markets or going to the bakery and get their morning paper walking their dog so for street photography off season is definitely the the time to go but also for you know if if all you want to shoot is the Arc de Triomphe for the Eiffel Tower, you'll ha- you'll have much better results off season also. And I and I like I mean it's not blue sky every day in Paris in the summer, but I like dr- dramatic skies and and rainy days for photography. They usually yield the best images. So I think off season is is really uh is the time to go. Plus the airfares are cheaper. When it comes to tra- when I see a lot of travel photography, I tend to see a lot of stuff of, of buildings and locations and very few pictures of people. And I think largely it's because people are sort of intimidated of making pictures of, of, of people unless they're in, in a crowd or shooting with a telephoto lens. But that seems to be really integral to your work. So how do you sort of broach, you know, the, the idea of photographing people, particularly when you're, when you're encouraging that in, in the students that take the workshop? Well, it is intimidating and it was for me at first too. For a long time, I was hiding be- behind my 70 to 200 lens because I thought, although I probably looked a lot more obvious with the big white lens, I felt safer. From now, I shoot with the 40 millimeter pancake lens, so I'm getting a lot closer to my subjects. First of all, try to carry something small, and then and then photograph people 
be respectful no matter what. And if you do candid street photography, just just take one shot, you know, don't go there and, and, and take shots, you know, you, you have to, I think the less you shoot, the better, the better the results. Anyways, usually you just tend to take your time and compose better. There's so many ways to do it. You can, you know, find a stage, a, a cafe. And I did that so much last January where I found those perfect, you know, cafes in Paris, the whole front opens up in the summer. So the people are inside, but it's almost like they're on a, in a terrace. And so you don't have glass reflection, which is wonderful. So I did, a, you know, I found some, some wonderful cafes that, you know, had a lot of writing. So it, it gave a sense of place and I waited for the right people to, to sit at those tables or be patient, be respectful. And if somebody comes to me and, and asks me what I'm doing, I'm, you know, I tell them exactly what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on, on projects for myself, uh, doing street photography, and because I find, I find you interesting. So most people actually respond really well to that because hey, everybody wants to be interesting and, and are usually flattered. And if people tell you, please delete the picture, well, delete the picture. You know, it's, it's not the end of the world. I don't think that's ever happened to me, maybe once. And, you know, just comply. It's not a big deal. People don't often even notice. Usually people don't notice me. I'm, I'm prepared if they ask me what I'm doing, as long as I have the shot first, and then we can engage in a conversation. And, and people, you know, I, I give them my card and, and I send them a print if they're interested. So it's win-win. And as I said, and if I photograph them, it's because they're interesting. I would never, I don't photograph homeless people out of respect. And I think that's, that makes sense. I don't photograph people who are in an embarrassing situation, you know, and I'm not in your face. I, I want to find something. I, I, I compose my shots. I want to tell a story and not just shoot randomly. So I don't shoot a lot. But I, I take good care at, at composing and, and finding the right subjects. So though you, you were born in France and you go back there fairly regularly, you live in Minnesota. Yes. So that's not Paris. So you live in the, in the sort of the Twin Cities near the, or near the Twin Cities. Tell me about photography there and how you sort of have to sort of adjust your approach or if you have to when you're photographing here in the States, particularly there. Well, actually, I am in the Twin Cities, so it's it's big. Minneapolis is a, a big city. There is it's a huge cultural uh, center. It's it's different, definitely. It's not shooting in Paris. I'm actually wor working on a, a street photography, and the theme is love. I'm I'm not finding as much display of affection here in Minnesota as I do in Paris. Uh, mm. <laughs> challenging here there is a lot to do in street photography and architectural it's a beautiful uh, st paul minneapolis are really beautiful cities when i first started photography i really looked at minnesota as flyover country you know there is nothing to shoot here it's flat and i quickly changed that mostly 
several years back, before I even got my first SLR, I discovered the work of Jim Brandenburg, who worked for the National Geographic for, for many, many years. And he's from Minnesota. He's, he's best known for his wolf photography. So he's, he's local. And it's not so much his wolf photography or his Northwood photography that had inspired me, but he's actually from southwestern Minnesota originally, which is right next to the South Dakota border. And it's flat. It's prairie land. You're lucky if you get a tree in in your frame at any time. So, and that is what inspires me the most. And I saw the beauty in that. Instead of just taking my SLR and only finding exciting things to shoot when I would go back home to France, I started seeing beauty in the prairie land, in the you know the first frost in the prairie. I just I just stepped out my backyard and. It's prairie land. There are foxes and deer, and it's a wonderful place if you love nature. I'm not a nature photographer per se or a landscape photographer, but as I said before, whatever moves me, I'm going to shoot. So uh, the the beauty of being out before sunrise and seeing the prairie uh, grass in the fall, you know, and that glow or the prairie grass. Uh, after the, you know, the first frost on that morning, it's it's amazing, and it's such a minimalist landscape that it actually inspires me a lot more than a jungle or heavy or dense forest, for example. I'm very inspired by the minimalist landscape, and and it's really seeing Brandenburg's uh, work in the prairie. Some of his early work, and he still does shoot there. He's doing a lot of work with prairie and restoration, the the, the bisons over there in southwestern Minnesota. So there's a lot of minimalist landscape photography that I saw of his work, and that really inspired me. Like if he, you know, in this landscape, he can have he can make such stunning images with you know what I thought was nothing at the time. You know, and now give me a a, a prairie land and a, a a fence covering mm-hmm. heaven, you know, that really inspires me. So now I see Minnesota, it's, it's an, I saw it as a brand new playground then at the time because I was taking my camera with me to Europe thinking that's the only place I'm ever going to shoot. And now I think I'm in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Yeah, I was seeing, there was an article that was written um, by Eric Kim on Stephen Shore who is a photographer who uh, practices a, a certain level of minimalism in his photographs. And uh, and seeing some of the responses to it, a lot of people were just very negative about it. They sort of didn't get it for whatever reason. And I've always greatly appreciated photographers like that who are minimalist because it just it shows me how differently I could view the world. And I think particularly growing up in a, in a city where there's so much clutter, there's so much visual noise, uh, to have one, someone sort of pare everything down and create something beautiful out of so little, uh, I think it's, it's a real encouraging way of teaching people how differently we can see that there's not just one way to look at anything. That's true. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it, and I, encourage people to um to explore that more because you know a lot of us are living in places where you know people don't really go on vacation mm. <laughs> you know i mean yes people come to minnesota to go to the the boundary waters area 
or to the Great Lakes. But but the prairie, even you know, I go to North Dakota uh, often, and uh, I do photography through. You know, I'm in the passenger seat, and I I can spend hours and hours just shooting up the window. It's just just the. It could be the railroad track, you know. <laughs> Going through the prairie land, and I find those lines are wonderful. I think it's a ma- It's yeah. It's all about seeing, you know, the extraordinary in something that looks so ordinary. And once you see that, you'll never be bored again. Does what you've learned from shooting that particular way there? How has that informed what you do when you're in the street when there's so much busyness happening? Do you find that that somehow had it has had an influence when you're in a more bustling situation in terms of how you compose your photographs and what you choose to photograph? Probably. I I usually, I rarely shoot more than one or two subjects, when I, even when I do street photography. I more often than not have only one or two subjects in my frame. And I think I'm more aware of lines and geometric shapes because of this minimalist landscape I'm in, maybe. That could be. I'm not sure. I never really thought of it, but... Tell me about your, your writing, because I think that's it's pretty rare to find a photographer who can write as well. And and there's a certain advantage to be had uh, to be able to do both. I mean, I'm a, I'm a testament to that. But I think that for those who are out there who are you know trying to sort of diversify what they do, why don't you talk about how writing became sort of part of your repertoire and what you feel like you had to learn that was completely separate from what you were doing with a camera in order to allow you to succeed in that way? Well, I definitely not, I would not have ever considered myself as a writer and, and English being my second language. You know, I really, it took me, like, <laughs> okay, can I actually get a, an article out there? And I did, and, and it was well received. I think my writing has, has improved greatly since my first article, but I think. It's another way of sharing, and I think everybody has something to add to the to the table, or I don't know if that's a correct expression. Um, I think everybody has something to share, and we can learn from each other. And I'm not a techie person, so I was certainly not going to start writing tutorials about Photoshop or anything like that. I'm, I'm, that's not something I would ever consider writing, but I could give a lot of tips uh, to others, to help others who are thinking of becoming professional photographers or people, I've written articles about that, you know, articles about what to do if you're in a rut. Uh, it was all from experience, you know. It, I didn't look for my articles very far. It was all personal experience. And I felt, well, I went through that. It wasn't pleasant, but hey, I'm that much stronger now. And why? Well, write about that and maybe it's going to help somebody else who is in a rut or who is thinking of um of turning their passion into the into a profession and what to to watch for you know and i wrote an article about my experience of of almost losing the passion and quitting because i did not realize what what becoming a professional photographer really entailed at the time i didn't think of all the you know the the boring aspects of it and and the business sides and are you know always you know asking people for for money when they ignore your your invoice after sixty days and and <laughs> it's something we don't really think about we just we think about shooting and and when you turn 
and, and if you shoot every weekend, but you have a nine to five job and, and you just do it for fun. And all of a sudden you have to, you know, make a living out of it, you'll realize that most of your time is going to be spent, you know, looking for clients and marketing yourself and, you know, editing work and and looking for more clients. It's a never ending thing. And the shooting part becomes such a small percentage of your day or of your week that I felt like I I could share my experience and and maybe people would go field a bit more prepared and, and you know, not the, oh, it's such a such uh, an exotic job <laughs> to become a photographer. It's it's cool, but it's you know, it's not easy. You know, you, you really have to make a lot of sacrifice, and your passion for the craft is not one of the sacrifices you want to make. Yeah. What do you think is the one thing you wish someone had told you before you had ventured out into a as a pro photographer, what's the, what's the one thing that you wish you had gotten nailed down before you, you, you actually got started? Well, actually, if somebody had <laughs> opened my eyes to just that, that maybe it's going to become a chore, I may have been more on the lookout for it, and I may have never left the projects aside. And so many people responded to that article and I've had so many discussions on that uh, on my Facebook page. And not only photographers, you know, a lot of other art forms, you know, people decide to try to make a living out of painting or whatever it could be, got to that point. And it's very common. And I'm not sure it's something they, they teach you. <laughs> <laughs> I never went to school for to become a, a professional photographer, but I'm not sure that's something they tell you to be aware of. And and from from all the, the people around me that have uh, turned their passion into a, a, a job, it's happened to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, you, do, you do workshops in, in, in Paris. Can you give us some details in, ter- in terms of what people can expect from those? Because... Because you mentioned how uh, you may have mentioned how much it, it costs, and but if you can sort of encapsulate all that it entails during that that week, what happens? My workshops are all inclusive except for the airfare and people uh, and lunch because you know we're out on photo walk, people will mix or whatever. So uh, we're we stay beautiful uh, Parisian hotel in one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in Paris near the. Luxembourg Garden. We have dinners every night in a different restaurant, and I was very careful at selecting those authentic, you know, uh, French bistros. There's a lot of wonderful restaurants in Paris, but you want to stay away from the the tourist traps. So I, I took good care because I feel like it's as much a cultural experience as it is uh, a photography workshop. So they're both very linked, in my opinion. So people get there, they're, uh, for the most part, a beginner, intermediate photographer. Actually, next year, I have some a uh, couple pro- professional photographers who have signed up, but that they, they're, um, you know, interior photographers. So for them, it's the, the trip of a lifetime. They're going to Paris, and they want to be with like-minded people, and and. It, they they probably don't have a whole lot to learn on the technical standpoint, but it so for the beginners, it's really to get them to take control of their camera because some people have never got out of the auto mode and and are afraid to, so kind of have them make that step 
And seeing a place like Paris where you'd so easily either be completely overwhelmed if you don't if you don't set a theme for your photo walk, for example. I mean, we're, it's, it's like being in any big city for a, a short time. All of a sudden, it's overwhelming. I mean, you can't shoot at all. So you have to, you know, today we're going to do street photography or we're going to do ar- architectural details. Of course, it doesn't mean that you're going to miss something happening, you know, that has nothing to do with, with one of the themes for the day that is happening right in front of you. But if you focus, your, if you stay focused on, on one specific genre, like street photography and how to tell a story in a frame, you'll, you'll enjoy your, the few hours out and, you know, shooting much more than if you go out with nothing in mind, just trying to capture Paris, which, you know, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of uh, random shots and, and it's going to be very disappointing at the end of the day. So those are skills that people will be able to apply anywhere else where they travel on their own afterwards. So the street photography is a big aspect of it. Learning how to to tell a story and a and a photo essay, you know, in a series of images, and it could be something that you know once they get home they may want to frame on their wall, you know, to have a five or six pictures shot and market with you know some people, some close up of some of the the. the fruit and vegetables and how to include, uh, you know, writing in your, in your travel photography to give a sense of place, even if you don't have the Apple Tower in the background, you know, you can take a picture of a tomato with a little chalkboard that says tomat and the price on, on it. And there you already in France, you know, so those are the shots that people don't, you don't often think of, you know, when they travel that will give a sense of place but will not have those iconic landmarks. And also one, one important aspect, and, and you could get, I could talk for hours about this, sh- shoot your own iconic images. Paris will mean something different to everybody. And after, you know, spending two, three days there, Paris probably won't be the Eiffel Tower or any of those iconic landmarks. You know, it will be something else. It could be little old lady walking out of the bakery with her, uh, her, French poodle and her baguette, or it could be those boats on the river, you know, at a certain light of the day. So it's really shooting your own iconic images. And I want everybody to be able to go home and, and be able to put, you know, some large print on their wall of, of, of their experience of Paris. And it's not going to be your traditional postcard or poster that they could have picked up there. Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Uh, well, my last question is I asked each guest to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, because he had such a big influence. And, you know, he's probably the reason why I picked up the camera in the first place. I would have to say Jim Brandenburg. And, you know, he probably doesn't need an introduction, although I'm sure there are a lot of new photographers out there who who don't know who Jim Brandenburg is. And I had the opportunity, you know, several months ago to actually uh, meet him outside of a professional venue and and to actually thank him for 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 his work and for inspiring me so much to to become a photographer. Not that I shoot landscape, uh, you know, like he does or wildlife, and those are really his strengths. But He's not only such a nice guy and such a 
talented, talented photographer. Uh, I want everybody to check out check out his work. So I would definitely urge people to check out his his website, jimbrandenburg.com, and um, they'll be wowed for sure. And where can people find out more about everything that you do? My website has links to all my social media. So it's Valérie Jardin Photography, all in one word. And it's V-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N Photography. Well, Valérie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having the chance to talk to you and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you. This was such a treat. Thanks so much, Ibarionex. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.